I'm Alex West. I'm Andrea Subasati, and we're from the Faculty of Horror podcast. And you're tuned in to the Good Trash Media Network. Out of Oklahoma City, you're listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast where movies are more than just 90 minutes in a bucket of popcorn. The Good Trash Genre Cast is a member of the Good Trash Media family. For more information, go to goodtrashmedia.com. They're talking about you, boy, but you're still G'day, dear listener, and welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where a bunch of people gather around a table and we talk about the films that you will never discuss in a film studies course. This week's film is a host pick from one, Dr. Reverend Arthur Gordon, in which we look at Paul Hogan in Crocodile Dundee. And uh, it is definitely a film that you'll never, ever see in a film studies course. Correct. For obvious reasons. Uh, <laughs> more on that anon, but we must identify the disembodied voices speaking to you all directly to your brains through your generic MP3 playing devices. To my right, sir, if you would. Uh, hi, my name's Caleb Masters, and uh, <laughs> for a minute there... Room service took on a whole new meaning. <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Dalton, your towels, Senior Dalton. <laughs> oh, my. Oh. Hey, Arthur. Who's your favorite little rascal? <laughs> Is it Spanky? <laughs> <laughs> Moving right along to my lesser identify yourself. I am Arthur Gordon. And see those rocks? Been standing there for 600 million years. Still be there when you and I are gone. So arguing over who owns them is like two fleas arguing over who owns the dog they live on. That, that that is very deep, sir. Thank you very much for that. It's a philosophical film. You know, it is is quite quite uh, philosophical. Uh, to, in the corner there, sir, if you'd identify yourself. My name is Dalton Stewart, and Dustin, I wouldn't have blamed that croc for eating you alive. The thoughts crossed my mind once or twice. <laughs> <laughs> my name. is... Get it? Paul Hogan was talking about going down on her. <laughs> Did you get the joke? <laughs> what really? Yeah. <laughs> Thank. Double on time. I don't know if anybody noticed. <laughs> I like me some innuendo. You know this movie was nominated for Best Original Screenplay at the Academy yeah, Awards? It was? Wow. Yeah. That's a thing it, that happened. 1987 Academy Awards. was not, uh, must have not, not a value at that time, I guess. <laughs> a lot, lot, lot of cocaine going on, man. Mostly because of lines like that, I'm sure, Dalton. <laughs> oh, it was the lines. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. The lines. <laughs> the lines. Hey, I've got a better way for you to do that. Uh, my name is, <laughs> is Dustin Sells, and I don't know what you've been listening to, but that's not a podcast. This is a podcast, and we are so glad to be talking with you all about Crocodile Dundee. Now, we're going to warn you, dear listener, this is not a review show, it's an analysis show, and that means we are going to spoil, insofar as there are things to spoil, uh, this film when we get to our analysis section. But before we get to that, we'll have a quick synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema, and then our thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, and then it's business time, dear listener, and spoilers ahoy, you have been warned. Let's go ahead and begin with that synopsis from The Voice of the Cinema, Mr. Arthur Gordon, if you would, sir. An American reporter goes to the Australian outback to meet an eccentric crocodile poacher and invites him to New York City. New York City? Get a rope. That's right. Thank you very much. It must be the, it sounds like a friend. <laughs> a deep, deep, deep cut. I'm just so glad you were right on the wavelength for that. <laughs> it was so good. <laughs> Uh, okay, well there you go, guys. Um, that's what the movie's about, I guess. Uh, let's talk about our initial reactions. I'm going to you first, Arthur, because this 
is your fault. It is my fault, and I, I regret nothing. <laughs> I, I have zero regrets about this. I watched this as soon as I could after we were done recording last week because I think it is just a blast and a half. Now, a lot of me knows that that is because I, you know, I know it has problems, uh, but the kid in me who sat side by side with his dad a number of times to watch this film with his family, you know, uh, it's really struck a chord. And this is certainly a film I think that plays often to the lowest common denominator and that, you know, no offense to anybody listening or what have you, uh, but that's who my dad was. Uh, and this was perfectly targeted to him. And so growing up, you know, we watched this, he laughed a lot. And so because he laughed, I laughed. And so there's this nostalgia about this film that just, I love it. I think it's funny. I think it's hilarious. I think it does a lot of things very well. Um, I think it, I mean, like I said, it does have problems, you know, it does have flaws. I think it's definitely a eighties movie. I think it is a victim of being an eighties movie. Uh, but at the same time, I, I like a lot of things about the scripting and the way it works. Um, you know, I, I like, uh, Paul Hogan. I think he's got a great charisma and I think, uh, Linda Kozlowski, you know, this is their first film, both of them. And I think they both just kind of lead the screen. I think they have a great chemistry. You know, they would either would go on to become married in real life or were already married in real life. I can't remember that time. 1989. So right after, uh, they wrapped production on part two. Uh, thank you, Dalton. So, you know, I think that chemistry really shines through here. And, and so it works for me on a number of levels there. Uh, I don't like, you know, the editing, it's very, very rough. A lot of the transition stuff, some of the, especially when he cuts the jacket on the mugger is very poorly edited. Uh, some dubbing things here and there that I noticed, but, uh, you know, I like, yeah, there's some weird ADR moments in this movie. Yeah. Uh, I'm, pretty sure there was an f word at one point that got dubbed over by yeah. the pimp yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah and so you know i i for the most part i think it works i like the structure i'll talk about that more in my analysis uh overall yes i think the film is disposable uh but i love it and i'll probably always love it and it, it holds a very special place in my heart uh, i laugh throughout i tear up at the end of the movie where they're in the subway station as bad as it is as cheesy as it is i think it is the funnest uh what is a telephone game uh, yeah. ever played <laughs> as they go down the line? Uh, and you know what? I like it. So I don't care what you think. All right. Well, thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. We don't care what you think. Um, I, I, but... I've probably picked worse movies for host picks. Before. Yes, you have. So yes. uh, here we are. Teen Wolf are looking at you. Moving right along um, in the corner, sir. Uh, knower of all the facts, because I know this is your favorite movie of all time. Go ahead, Mr. <laughs> Dalton Stewart. Um, uh you know, I do like that uh, telephone game, uh, Arthur, that you just mentioned at the very end in the subway. It's the only t- joke in the movie. Um, it's a dumb movie. Uh, it's not even a funny movie. There, there are not a lot of jokes in this film. Uh, and the ones that are uh, frequently don't work. Uh, th- people always, the, the, that's not a knife, this is a knife. That has stuck around for so long because it's like one of the only jokes in the movie. That and the the cocaine joke, which is pretty pretty <laughs> funny. Um, and uh, the the joke at the end with the, the game of telephone in the subway is cute. Um, otherwise, it's slow and poorly paced and disposable and not particularly funny. And I, I just, it's dumb. It's really dumb. It, it, one of my biggest problems with the movie is that the film doesn't have an opinion about Crocodile Dundee. Uh, it can't decide if he's like, yeah, this like schlick, Schlick, slick, uh, fucking shyster douchebag who is like cheating tourists out of their money, or if he's like <laughs> a real deal woodsman, or what? It can't make up its mind about him. Is he a scumbag? Is he it, it, Arthur? You mentioned your synopsis. It calls him a crocodile poacher, and then he's like gets all offended at the poaching of kangaroos. Like, who, who, and when anybody suggests that he might be a crocodile poacher, he like clocks the guy out. But it seems like he's a crocodile poacher because they find his boat and it's full of shell casings. What what 
what is his deal? Who is he? He's a mystery man. And not in a cool way, because the movie seems to want us to love him, but it gives us all of these conflicting messages uh, about who he is and what his character is. It's infuriating. It's it, it's maddening. And when it gets to New York, it treats him like uh, a, a child. At best, I, I mean, don't get me wrong, I, I get that the man has spent most of his life in the bush, but there's a second toilet next to the other toilet that shoots water. What the fuck do you think it does, dummy? If Paul Hogan's character were anything but an old white dude, it would be offensive that we're spending so much of the movie making fun of him, and I'm going to hold on to that for my analysis, but it's fucking weird, man. It's just a strange movie, and it's it's not particularly funny, and I think that's the biggest fault of it. Uh, Hogan is very charismatic. I will give him that. Like He's an interesting... He's got a good screen presence. He's got a an interesting face and physique, and the costuming of, of his character is really cool, but overall, it's a dumb fucking movie, and... The biggest problem is Paul Hogan's screenplay doesn't have an opinion about Paul Hogan's character. All righty. Well, thank you very much for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Mr. Caleb Bastards, what is your quick thumbs up, thumbs down review? Yeah, I mean, Crocodile Dundee is uh, an undeniable rom-com classic from the 80s. And when I say a classic from the 80s... I liked I, it better when it was called Romancing the Stone. Well, no, there are there are better, but I, I put this in the same category as movies from the 80s that belong in the 80s that when you look back on the 80s and you look at romantic comedies in the 80s, this is on the list. Uh, it's cheesy, tonally inconsistent, like all over the place, all freaking over the place. I, there were times I, I was I was sitting there, I'm like, is this supposed to be a dramatic moment? Am I supposed to like care all of a sudden about anybody in this film? And then, uh, then there's occasionally moments, uh, very insensitive moments that are shocking for because they're highly insensitive. Oh, they're insane! All over the place, and it's it's completely unacceptable. I mean, uh, in regards to women, in regards to race, in regards to I, I mean, just human intelligence. I, I don't know. This movie is really dumb. And if this movie was made today, there's no way in hell this would get a pass. Uh, so I, it, it is what I would call, you know, it belongs in a museum, as Indiana Jones would say. Um, but I, you know, it, good things to say about the movie is Paul Hogan's charm. He, you know, charmed the pants off of Nixon, right? Uh, he's he's a uh, lots of fun. I enjoy him, and he he chews the scenery. I'm actually kind of surprised that I didn't realize this was was his first film because for a man who hasn't uh, who hasn't have it, well, he was in entertainment. Uh, he he was a uh, household name in Australia already. I think he was a, a TV personality. TV personality. Yeah, I think he was a comedian and a and like a frequently on television shows and stuff. Yeah, but yeah, it was his first film. Yeah, well, because he, I mean, he definitely sucks up all of the screen presence, and, and I mean, it's his movie, so I guess that makes sense. Um, but uh, I, I can't say I, I can't say this sparked an interest uh, for me to do a little more in depth study of the portrayal of Australians on the big screen. Uh, I'm just kind of starting to sink my teeth into that because I was really curious. I said, is this really how Australians in the 80s looked and acted? I know it's a different culture, and I know it's uh, a a different country with its own history. And I was starting to think and uh, look back at other films, and this is the way it's been painted, but having no experience and little research on how Australians actually were in the 1980s or even their history I, I didn't really know so if nothing else this is for me been an intellectual exercise in researching Australian history um, and what the Aborigine tribes are like and you know what, what does that look like uh, but overall I don't think this movie has aged very well it's a product of the 80s uh, and I would not give it I, I wouldn't put it in any other category other than a fun little look back to the 80s nostalgia 
Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters. I gave this film one and a half stars, and I love it. That's right, both those things at once. Uh, for similar nostalgic reasons, as Arthur Gordon mentions, uh, I grew up with the movie. Uh, I did too, but for the record. I know you guys are older than me. I watched this probably at least two or three times as a kid, because my parents thought it was awesome, because they were both you know, of movie-going age. You know, My dad being would have been probably in his early 30s when this came out. My mom would have been in her early 20s. So, yeah, no, they both enjoyed this movie. So they made me watch when I was a kid. I remembered it being a lot better. Yeah, and I mean, that's fair. I mean, watching it right now with the critical eye that I have, it is absolutely a mess. It is real bad. Uh, and as Arthur has already mentioned, uh, the editing, the the scripting, I, I think the structure itself is problematic. I know you're going to say some things about structure later. But it, it's an absolute mess. It's also racist, misogynist, sexist. Oh, yeah. Um, you know, it, it's, got, it's got some problems uh, going on in crazy ways. But that being said, it's still a movie that is fun. I mean, I still had a good time watching it. it it's a standard fish out of water. Yes, he is sort of a, a weird man-child uh, running around in New York that just cannot understand things. You, you'd think somebody as <laughs> old as he was would, you know, have some savvy. He has enough guile to put away his disposable razor and switch to his big pig sticker to look like a <laughs> badass when he's shaving. <laughs> but the man doesn't understand drug use. Like, he he knows what alcohol is. It's not that far of a leap to understand how drugs work. I, I think they have marijuana in Australia. I'm pretty sure they've got blow, too, man. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like, I know he's from the back country, but they've got drugs, dude. You would think I so. Don't, uh, it's so fucking infuriating. But yeah, I mean, it's a caricature, and they're doing that for comedic beats, and uh, he's sort of poking fun at himself. And th- that self-deprecation, I think, is the only charm the film has. And that's the problem. I don't think he's poking fun at himself. He's poking fun at other people in Australia. Okay, that's fair. But we'll talk about that uh, later. Th- no, no, I think that's a fair distinction to be mm-hmm. making. But the, the charm being, again, sort of, uh, I'm part of the group and uh, I'm making fun of us sort of thing. But that being said, I like it uh, to watch. I don't like it to think of as cinema. Uh, so whatever that works out as a categorization of my review, you may shelf it accordingly. Moving right along, though, as I look upon my watch, I realize the time is running away, and it is now time to play the game. Time to play the game. Time to play the this week's game is X Character Goes to New York. That's right. X Character Goes to New York. Brought to you by Crocodile Dundee. Crocodile Dundee. I had actually forgotten that it's the first movie that he goes to New York in. I kind of f- remembered it being the sequel. I did too, actually. Yeah. So without any further ado, I go to you, Mr. Dalton Stewart. What are your selections? Well, my, my first one's kind of a cheat, uh, but I don't care. Um, Die Hard with a Vengeance. Because... New York uh, PD detective John McClane had never spent a movie in New York prior to uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. He'd been in D.C. and Los Angeles, but we had never got to see him on his home turf. And it's the only Die Hard sequel that is any good. Uh, Period. End of story. I love Die Hard with a Vengeance. I think it is as good as Die Hard 1. Uh, well, let's let's. I'm going to temper that a little bit. It isn't within striking distance of being as good as Die Hard One. Uh, unfortunately, it is still repeating the formula, so it does have, you know, lacks that innovation that the first movie had. But it is so much fun. It is so good. Um, I love it. I love it. I love it. I love it. Him and Sam Jackson are buddy cop magic. Jeremy Irons is a sexy fucking bad guy, um, and so is his uh, crazy hook knife wielding girlfriend. 
I was just going to say, I, I think that that counts. I mean, he the movie starts in New York, but it's very clear at the very get-go of the film that he's never been to New York before. Well, no, he's from New York. I mean, th- that, yeah, they make a point. Well, of, he was in L.A. He's in L.A. in the first one, and then he's in an airport in the second one. In D.C., yeah. He's, he's at, in D.C.? He's at Dulles, okay, yeah. and then he goes back to D.C. for the fourth one. Okay. Right, but but yeah. that's, yeah, I mean, he, the whole thing is this is New York cop John McClane. It's the very first time we actually see him in New York. So it's a lot. I mean, yeah, perfect bad guys, perfect buddy cop. Uh, would have would not have minded some more Al Pal, but uh, you know you, one can only have so much Reginald Vell Johnson, uh, and unfortunately um, we've got him in Crocodile Dundee. Uh, <laughs> next, my next pick <laughs> is um, the better version of Crocodile Dundee, and that is coming to America uh, with uh, Eddie Murphy and um, Arsenio Hall. Uh, God damn it! And James Earl Jones. I mean, what a great cast! This movie. Uh, I think uh, even a baby Dave Chappelle makes an appearance, if I remember right. I could be wrong on that though, but. I, I love this movie. I haven't seen it in a couple of years now, and I've been meaning to go back and watch it. And pretty much the entire time we were watching Crocodile Dundee, I was like, you know, I really should be watching Coming to America. That's what I should be watching. So if, if the things that I just called out as problematic in uh, Crocodile Dundee are also in uh, Coming to America, which I'm pretty sure they are, uh, sorry, it's been a long time since I've seen it. But you know what? I have a feeling it probably still holds up better than uh, Crocodile Dundee's. Uh, my last pick, another Bruce Willis film. It's The Future Goes to New York, Fifth Element. Uh, more specifically, uh, Lilu Goes to New York because Bruce Willis is already there. Um, what a great movie. What an amazing movie. We've actually talked about it on this show before, in fact. Um, I love it. 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 And none of them have the problem that uh, Crocodile Dundee has, um, which is uh, that, and Dustin mentioned this way, way back on our uh, Fish Called Wanda episode. Um, basically... Uh, Dustin posited, with, oh my god, that was so long ago. It was. It's been a minute. I, just literal eons. It feels like um, Dustin. You posited though. I don't know if you remember this. That um, some of the biggest problems with uh, creator-driven, so comedy films that are written by oh, their star, the wish fulfillment element. Exactly. Yeah. And I feel like that's the prop. Part of the problem with Crocodile Dundee is Paul Hogan wanted to. Uh, just write the coolest absolute version uh, of a, of a backwoods Aussie um, and also wanted to be him. So he wanted to like be kind of naive and like also kick all of the ass and get all of the ass. And it just comes across as stupid. And that's not something that any of the three movies I just mentioned do. Thank you very much for that. Mr. Dalton Stewart, Mr. Caleb Masters, let's hear your gameplay. Oh man, there's so many to choose from. We'll, we'll start things off uh, a little bit of fun. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to hop genres a little bit. Firstly, uh, have to before after battling the psychic, but before it goes to space, you can look at Friday the fart, Friday the Thirteenth Part Eight. Friday the Fourteenth Part Eight. You know there probably is a, there probably is a spinoff out there somewhere. <laughs> no. I'm so in. <laughs> I am a child. <laughs> Jason goes to the buffet. <laughs> Jason gotta be... goes to Taco Bell. <laughs> oh no. Okay. All right. We're good. I corrected myself, by the way. So. I don't, um, I don't care. I know. Yeah. <laughs> I didn't misspeak. I don't care. That that's you and me in fugitive. You're, you're Harrison Ford, and you're about to jump out of the dam, and I'm Tommy I didn't Jones. Mispronounce that word. I don't care. <laughs> so yeah, I've got to go with. Uh, <laughs> after battling the psychic, but before going to space, we have to look at. Uh, our boy Jason in Friday the 13th, part eight, Jason takes Manhattan, in which he 
gets onto a cruise ship full of college students that happens to board at Camp Crystal Lake, then make its way to the ocean, and then make it to New York. Yeah, doesn't he actually only spend like ten minutes in Manhattan? Yeah, it's actually a very so it's by it's by coincidence because what happens is he kills everyone on the cruise, and then like uh, the, the the survivors get on a little you know rescue, and they they row themselves to Manhattan. And Jason, being the boy he is, just decides to walk underwater and catch them there. Oh my god! And there's about ten minutes, and then what he he uh, what he kills. There was like a drug dealer he beats up and, and like shoves like totally does the trash can move where he st- shoves his head in a, in a trash can he- head down. Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. Uh, he gets electrocuted by an, a magnetic uh, rail. That was a lot of fun, and it, of course it didn't kill him. Uh, it, it's a cla- it's it's one of the one of my favorite moments in the Jason series, uh, the Friday Thirteenth series. He's running down the street with his machete, and everyone else is just like bystanders just looking around like, oh, hey, there's a guy with a machete chasing these people around, saying and doing nothing. It's quite fun. Quite, quite fun. Uh, changing the pace a little bit, let's look at uh, Amer- American Tale. Uh, you know, the, the little film starring the uh, animated rat, the Donald Blue film way back from, I believe, it was 86. Uh, that sounds right. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Fifel. Yeah, Fifel. Uh, before he went, before he goes west, he comes uh, to New York. It's a lot of fun. Uh, those, those, uh, a lot of the Don Blue stuff is really, really underrated animation. So I really enjoyed that one a lot as a kid. And I remember that was probably the, my first interaction watching a film where, like, uh, any character, like, you know, from the small town or from this foreign country, goes to a big city, and they have this whole, you know, unreal moment where they realize how massive and tiny their world, uh, how big the cities were, and how tiny their world was. Just a eh, lot, a lot, a lot of fun. Um, I've got some other picks that I want to say for the rest of you co-hosts, though. So I'll piggyback off of those. All right, thank you very much for that, Mr. Caleb Masters, Mr. Arthur Gordon. What are your selections? Uh, first, I'm going to mention an episode of The Simpsons uh, where they go to New York City, and it's fun. And Homer has to, uh, after Barney takes his car, uh, Homer's car, to New York and leaves it there, gets a boot put on it, and Homer has to go up there and get it cleared with the court and the traffic uh, cops and stuff like that. Uh, and hilarity ensues because it's The Simpsons and it's prime. Yeah. And so it was a lot of fun. Uh, and there's a Mountain Dew joke that's really good. Uh, but I had to I had to <laughs> mention that one because I love The Simpsons, and it's near and dear to my heart. Um <clears throat> I'm going to say uh, Jungle to Jungle, which I believe Caleb also had had on his list as well. Yes. God, what a uh, terrible movie. <laughs> well, no, it's so much fun, dude. It's a Tim Allen classic from the 90s, man. Come on. Classic, the show that they made us watch that shit at daycare all the time. Uh, oh, I bet. All Did you really? Time. Yeah, dude. Oh, man. Is that, see, I actually remember seeing the trailer for that film, and my dad's a massive, massive Tim Allen fan. We watched every Tim Allen movie, so we were actually we went to the theater as a family to watch Jungle to Jungle. Oh, that's fun. Uh, it's it's fun. It's a lot of fun. I mean, it's just a, it's it's Crocodile Dundee, but with a young kid who thinks he's or is, identifies as uh, tribal from Venezuela. I can't remember what the tribe is. Mimisiku though uh, is his yeah, name, uh, and he has to come encounter New York, and it's the urban jungle, and they do that whole thing. Uh, Tim Allen's fun. I like Tim Allen a lot. And this was kind of when he was in his prime there in the '90s, and it works. I think uh, it probably is terrible uh, upon a revisit. But as Dalton often mentions, I don't revisit some stuff because I don't want to ruin it for myself. Uh, so here we are. Uh, but finally, I'm going to mention uh, uh, another film that's just as bad as everything else we're talking about today, uh, and that is Adam Sandler in Mr. Deeds. Oh, boy. Uh, which came towards the uh, latter part of his career when it still had a heartbeat before it completely flatlined. Uh, I think it's a lot of fun. I, I, for some reason, I think nostalgia, I still have a soft spot for Adam Sandler, uh, at least in that period, uh, pre-click and, you know, post the golden stuff of uh 
Billy Madison and Happy Gilmore. I think Mr. Deeds works. I watched it a lot. It's just fun. It's not a great movie. It has a lot of problems. But Winona Ryder's there. So, mm-hmm. you know, I'm sold. Winona Ryder, Adam Sandler, I think it works. And so those are my picks, Dustin. Thank you very much. I must begin with this New York game with New York, from which one escapes. That's right. Escape from New York. Yeah. Snake Plissken. I we didn't gotta, do it because I knew you were going to do it. it. Yeah. It's just, you know, you got to do that because, you know, you have to escape from New York. It's a different sort of New York, and that's a lot of fun. Also, Babe, Pig in the City. There you go. There we go. <laughs> wow. Did not see that yeah. one coming. Do you know who, who that was directed by, right? Um, No. George Miller. George, George Miller. fucking oh, Miller. Oh, Mad Max. Speaking of Australia. Speaking of Australia. Does he direct both of them? No, All- he was just a writer on uh, Babe 1. Oh, okay. And he came on for the sequel. Yeah, well, he was a producer and a writer on the first one. I think he had huh. something going on. I thought on. he directed the first one. I don't believe he did. No. But he is involved in that franchise. He, well, is, no. Jim, is Jimmy Cromwell in the second one? I can't remember. Oh, God, I love James Cromwell so much. Uh, we got a little Macaulay Culkin coming at you. Uh, Home Alone 2, yep. Lost in New York. Merry Christmas, you filthy animals. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> <laughs> I, see, I see you smooching with everyone. Rick, Bobby, Cliff. It's... Good times. Um, also, with uh, you know, puppeted animatronic animals singing Frank Sinatra's New York, New York, Gremlins 2, The New Batch. Fuck yes. Because, <laughs> yeah, fun times. Why not? Well, there you go, dear listener. A good time would be had by all watching you, these New York films. You know, there's a couple of movies that uh, I'm really bummed that didn't get mentioned. Uh, Arthur, one of our favorite movies from last year, uh, Brooklyn, with Sears Ronan, I didn't Ooh, even think yeah. about until just yeah, now. Yeah, that's a good one. Uh, and then I was going to say Predator 2, and then I remembered it's actually in Los Angeles, yeah. Uh, yeah. which is stupid. Obviously, they should have put it in New York. Obviously. Would have been much better. Yeah, it would have been much well, better. Well, we did well, get the, 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 the video game that was set in New York, the Chicago. Concrete. Or was, it, was it Chicago? Chicago. Was it? Chicago. Yeah. Chicago. The Concrete Jungle? Yeah. The Predators. Yeah, yes. The Concrete Jungle. They screwed that up. Chicago, oh my yes. God. Yeah, I know. Everyone's an idiot. Yeah, well, there you go, dear listener. We'd love to hear your gameplay and your selections, and you'll have an opportunity to find out where you can do that at the end of the show. But enough of this foolish, foolishness, guys. I think it's time to get down to business. <laughs> That's right, dear listener, and I'm down to my business socks, ready to do some analysis with you he all. He is. <laughs> so <Some> business socks. <laughs> I don't even know how he walks in those. That's the garters that really make him. <laughs> I'm, I'm, wearing the my, I'm wearing my team building exercise 1998 shirt. <laughs> senior sales. Towels. Team building exercise not tonight. Senior sales, your towels. That's right. Senior sales. Oh, wow. Well, we got to move on and get to some analysis. We are really <laughs> silly today. It's a silly movie. What analysis do is. we have? I want to hear from you, Mr. Arthur Gordon, picker of the film. This is your fault, so bring the thunder. From Down Under. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) Boom, you set it up, and I just knock him down. The structure of Crocodile Dundee uh, is fascinating from a script standpoint. It's a rom-com adventure newspaper pick uh, featuring the fish-out-of-water trope. Uh, Nothing out of the ordinary there. However, what I do like about this movie is the structure of the film. Uh, and the scripting therein, um, in that it's really two films, uh, two experiences that intertwine uh, by the end of the narrative. Uh, for the first act of the film and up to the midpoint of the second act, the mid-act break there, uh, this is Sue's film. She is our entry into this world. She is developed as our main character, and we see the world of the Australian outback, mixed world, the Northern Territory. 
uh, through her eyes. We are asked to empathize with Sue as she deals with her fiancé, traverses the Northern Territory, and encounters a number of subcultural groups who are vastly different from the New York yuppie friends. I also find it very interesting, as an aside, that in the 1986, a fluff piece about an Australian guy surviving a crocodile attack uh, was the most important news thing to be writing at the time. Uh, as opposed to, you know, anything else that could be written about. And so journalism. Uh, anyway, uh, it is through her eyes that we get our first look at Mick Dundee. A very confused look, I think, as Dalton mentioned. Because we're never quite sure uh, oh, who he is in this opening. Is he a poacher? Is Are people just, you know, gossiping about him? What's he about? Um, Mick is a poacher. You know, we find this out when they find gun shells in his boat. It's more clearly defined in the sequel. Uh, when he's throwing dynamite in a lake and blowing up fish to catch them to eat them. Um, He's brash, arrogant, and brazen. He doesn't fear nature, nor does he really respect nature. Uh, He doesn't really care about the kangaroos until Sue says something uh, about saving them and protecting them. This isn't something he really, you know, respects. It is throughout the first half of this film that we are, like Sue, charmed by Dundee, hypnotized even by his actions, uh, much like he entrances the aggressive animals he encounters throughout the film. However, it is a bit problematic that he puts a water buffalo to sleep in the middle of the road, Uh, when the initial problem is they couldn't get around it to begin with, and so that seems a little counterintuitive. Uh, After the midpoint of the film, as we are in the airport, uh, the film transitions into being Mick's story, as he does the uh, escalator joke, pun, uh, visual gag, trying to get down it, and then not quite... As the man-child enters New York, we are instantly terrified terrified of the escalator well what's happening here uh, and now he figures it out pretty quickly and i was like oh good we're gonna avoid a really stupid like escalator game. nope nope never mind it's at he's the bottom. terrified of the escalator jesus he thinks christ you're gonna eat him like an alligator it's or a, a clearly moving stairs like technology it's magic dude i don't <laughs> yeah uh, we begin to follow mick around uh new york as he now commands the plot of the film the narrative has now shifted to his uh point of view his perspective uh he is now the fish out of water and sue is the savvy guy who takes him to exotic and at times dangerous locales uh while mick is capable of captivating water buffalo and doberman pinchers uh, sue is adept at talking to bellboys and mater d's uh luxuries far removed from the northern territory uh that mick is familiar with uh, he is never fully comfortable in New York, nor does he fit in there. Uh, it is through these moments that Dundee is fully humanized, I think, and somewhat relatable. This is what brings him uh, to Earth so that we can connect with him, uh, taking him out of his element so that we can empathize with him there. Now, as we break into the third act of the film, the narrative once again transfers back to Sue. She must now debate who she would stay with, Richard or Mick. Uh, Neither guy is really that stand-up of a guy, uh, which is very problematic. Uh, The final moments see a normal subversion of the rom-com trope as the girl must go after the guy and profess her love to him. Uh, We see the finale of the film play out in the subway station as Mick intends to go walk about. Again... This is primarily done from Sue's perspective before the two join together within the station and embrace as our closing image before the credits roll. Uh, Mick enters this world to fulfill the purpose of splitting Richard and Sue up. That is never his intention as a character from the beginning, but that's the purpose he plays within the role uh, within the film. Uh, This is set up against the backdrop of a film that is on its surface, a fish-out-of-water rom-com with hints of adventure. I think, however, that the separation of the narrative perspective between these two characters is somewhat unique to this rom-com genre. Uh, Typically, it would follow one character from A to B with the exception of expository scenes to move the film along. However, the story that Paul Hogan crafted is similar to something like Hitchcock's Psycho in its narrative telling. I'm not saying that it's on the same level, but structurally... 
is similar because it is a film that is made up of multiple uh, large episode arcs, similarly to Psycho. Uh, in doing so, we get a, we should, the intention should be to give us a more well-rounded look at our characters, which is never fully realized throughout this film, though. Uh, Sue and Mick are able to develop a deeper connection with both as we get to see them internally through their own eyes and then externally when the narratives shift. Uh, as I said in my review, the film has flaws, and at the end of the day, it is disposable. Uh, but I think this subversion of rom-com tropes that kind of plays with that structure that we're familiar with of that genre is probably what garnered some critical acclaim for this film uh, at the time without going back to look at those reviews but it does i think at on the base level uh stand apart from many other rom-coms thank you very much for that analysis mr arthur gordon mr dalton stewart what analysis do you bring well let's talk about class um because i think we have to and i think it's part of what's most interesting about this film um, I do want to point out uh, that uh, it was the most recent, as of this recording, the most recent episode of the uh, Cracked Podcast is what had this uh, clicking around in my brain. They just recently did an episode about uh, how class in America isn't just about income, which, you know, uh, if you've taken a lot of socially, uh, if you've taken uh, a lot of sociology classes, as I have, having a degree in it, uh, this is not a foreign concept to you. Uh, but I, I think it bears mentioning <coughs> Class is not just about money, uh, and anybody who tells you it is is, is an idiot. Uh, there is a lot going on. Gender comes into play. Race comes into play. Uh, geography comes into play, and therein lies the problem. So, again, I don't know a whole lot about uh, the social strata uh, of Australia, but I'm going to go ahead and assume it's pretty similar uh, to the United States uh, in that people who live out in the middle of nowhere uh, and don't have a lot of money are considered to be dumb yokels. Um, and that is how Crocodile Dundee is treated in this film. Let's uh, imagine this movie being called uh, Alligator Jeb. Uh, <laughs> yeah, Jeb! About a dude from uh, the uh, bayous of Louisiana. It's not as cute anymore, is it? Uh, when Louisiana Jeb, uh, or Bayou Jeb, says something weird uh, to the black limo driver, is it? It's not as cute anymore, is it? Um, it, it's not as cute when he gets afraid of the escalator or doesn't understand cocaine or doesn't understand bidets or uh, assaults uh, an asshole randomly. Is he a very pretty, charming um, uh, Jeb from Louisiana? Because that, I think that has a lot to do with it, honestly. If this is some uh, ugly schmuck from Australia, I'm not sure it would have worked quite as well. I would just like to point out we do actually have that movie. It's called The Cowboy Way with uh, Woody Harrelson and Kiefer Sutherland. I have never seen this movie. It, it sounds is amazing. Interesting, <laughs> to say the you least. You had me at Woody Harrelson. <laughs> <laughs> my, my point is, listener, uh, this movie is, is having a go uh, at uh, Mick Dundee. And uh, Paul Hogan knows that. I, Paul Hogan, I, I am going to assume, I don't know this, uh, I'm going to assume he's not from the Northern Territory. I assume he's probably from Melbourne or, you know, Sydney or uh, one of the larger metropolitan areas. Arthur's doing some research on that for me right now. But it's irrelevant. It doesn't matter where he's from. Uh, what matters is he, he made a, a, a caricature of a poor person. Um, and it's not cute, uh, in my opinion. I'm sorry. I, I don't find that kind of thing amusing because... Uh, the the point that I, I was trying to make with you know alligator Jeb from the Bayou or whatever uh, is that class seems to be the one final thing that it is okay to publicly mock. Um, you, you you wouldn't you know it, all right. I'm going to tread lightly as I can here, listener. Um, bear with me. 
if, if this was a, a film about a, a the main character was black uh, and from you know not the city, it would be really racially problematic, and nobody would have thought it was cute. Um, but as long as it's uh, race on race, uh, it's fine. Nobody gives a shit. Um, it's okay to make fun of uh, people who don't have money and people who have not been acclimated to society. And that's that's the thing that bothers me. It's fine for Mick Dundee to go to New York and have all these foibles and not understand things. Um, everyone makes fun of him. And, and really, even when douchey people are making fun of him, we are kind of expected to laugh along a little bit. I mean, th- and that's part of the problem of Paul Hogan never picking a side with Mick Dundee. We don't know if we should feel bad for him or not. Because as far as we can tell... He's hustling tourists out of their money, just like anybody. Everybody in this film is a shit, uh, which again makes it a problem because we, we're kind of against Mick because he's a douchebag, um, and everybody else is a douchebag, and they keep making fun of him, uh, and and that's a weird thing. Uh, and I don't think it's specific to America, but that's what my frame of reference is. So we're gonna stick with that for for the time being. There there seems to be a. a Oh, the best example I can think of is uh, the, the the phrase "white trash," um, w- which is something I hear thrown around a lot, and something that uh, I myself am guilty of throwing out every once in a while. Um, and again, because it is um, interracial um, as opposed to extra racial, it, it's okay. You know, nobody really cocks an eyebrow at it, um, but it's extremely problematic because you are chastising somebody um, for not knowing what you consider to be the social norms and mores that they should. Uh, no, uh, to function in society. No, they shouldn't have to know those. Their life functions differently than yours. Uh, and the assumption that your way of living is better than theirs is asinine at best um, and downright repugnant at worst. Uh, don't fucking force your way of thinking on people. That's that's just mean and jaded and, uh, and stupid. Um, and again, uh, they're stupid. Uh, but th- those are the words that I have. Uh, th- 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 that is my way of talking. I don't give a shit. My point is, uh, it's not cute uh, to make fun of poor people. Um, it's just not. But when you put it in a, a handsome, strapping young man with a, well, let's not kid ourselves, a handsome, strapping older gentleman with a big fucking knife, um, it's a cute fish out of water tail. And, and really, I just, you know, I, I would encourage people to examine things a little bit harder uh, before they have their yucks. Uh, Dustin, you, you had some things that you wanted to say that were kind of related to this as well. Yes, absolutely I do, because I did think a lot about class and race as well. We have to reckon with a couple things that are going on in the film, first of which is uh, Paul Hogan, as a Australian, is in an extent playing a white magic minority character. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, he walks on water at the end of the movie, basically, to get back to his love. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, he does other sort of things. You know, he's he's hanging out with the Aborigines, and he knows exactly when uh, Sue is looking at him. And, you know, the, that, that sort of, again, magic sort of stuff that's going on. And uh, as Dalton was discussing class, what I thought I would discuss is the fact that even within race and race relationship, we also create totem poles within the um, quote-unquote dominant cultures, within uh, white cultures. Uh, we, we, there, is, there is a history of white slavery uh, in, uh, in cultural history, in world history, uh, mostly involving Irish uh, people 
and others from uh, other places in Europe. And this idea of even in Boston, in the early parts of the 19th century, Irish need not apply and uh, those sorts of signages that were created. And what capitalism does uh, in order to hide its classism is it couches it in terms of race and racism or other ways of sort of uh, creating demographic groups of people by which they can be oppressed because of something other than their class when the fact of the matter is class is what's functioning primarily under the, the bed of it all. Well, that's the thing. Uh, you know, the, the money is always hiding in the back. It is, is either about race, as you said, or it's about the the people from the boonies you know it's geographical it's racial it it is um oh people from that part of town it it is hiding that it is always about money correct Uh, there are billionaires who live in louisiana well and that's but it's not just exactly and there are billionaires who are you know texas oil billionaires new money for lack of a better word as far as we can tell mick and his uh his partner are pretty well off i mean he could just afford to go hang out in new york indefinitely um so they're making quite a bit of money fleecing tourists um but it's so it's it's about money and it's not about money in, in a weird way because just because you have money does not mean you have the skills or language to negotiate uh the class mobility uh, to climb that ladder because people will always be looking down on you for your behaviors. Well, the, the social status is just not there. Exactly. Like the, the way you, the way you talk and it, it, and the way you're educated is really mm-hmm. what the well, dividing line and is. And the there, things right? you value and the things that you view as important. Um, the, the, it, it's never clear to me what his job is. The editor in chief, the, the douchey boyfriend character, uh, uh, Richard, Richard, thank you. Uh, R- Richard uh, values things like, uh, you know, getting shit-faced on vodka martinis and ordering an Italian um, and just is, thinks it's hysterical that uh, Paul Hogan can't do either of those things. Um, not that he cares to drink vodka martinis or order an Italian, but uh, it's important to Richard, and um, he's, he's baffled that he's met this person who it's not important to at all. Right, but what it does is it creates that separation, but it creates it, again, based on a, a geographism mm-hmm. at this point yeah. as opposed to, say, a standard sort of racism. And the 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 contentiousness of class of finance is even present. There is a there is a tension between I think Wally and Mick. Mick is to an extent being exploited by, by Wally. Wally, yeah. And uh, the fact that it can be paid for in this trip to New York, like they're they're trying to exploit the newspaper to an extent, but it creates this sort of dog eat dog sort of environment. This is what capitalism does. Well, because he's like, well, I don't want to do that to Mick, and then he hears about the money. He goes, well, all right, we'll do that, right? Yeah. And 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 again, uh, what what it, what what continues to happen is that by Forming these proclivity groups based on race, regionality, or whatever, it's able to uh, divert the conversation from some of the class uh, issues, the financial issues that are going around. There is a moment in this film where we see a preoperative transgendered woman who is very <sighs> troubling. Scene I really hate that scene. A great that made me really angry. Yeah. yeah. Great many reasons why it's very, very, very troubling, and uh, the the action that is taken is dehumanizing and uh, very, very frustrating. So, wh- what exactly does you know the class you know st- standard demographic look like for a preoperative preoperative transgender woman in New York in the late? 80s? Oh, it's not great. Yeah, yeah, no. Well, and again, th- this is you know, when, and I talk about this a lot. Is if you're going to be a movie person and you're going to watch a lot of film, you're going to have to accept that you're going to see some things that to your modern eyes are going to be troubling. Um, and um, really problematic. Um, but the, the problem with this here is just how it's so so callous and mm-hmm. so tasteless. Um, I, I will g- give it's the mean. film this. It's mean. It's, it's very. Mean it's, it's mean. It, it, make, it makes for a punchline. Yeah. Well, and uh, I, I will we'll give Mick this. Um, 
you know, really he's not like oh, oh, queer. Um, he's just like, oh, that that Sheila got a dick, and it's just like he's like, you guys were having a go. It like it's not. He's not like get out of here. Like he, it's it doesn't become transphobic or homophobic from Mick's point of view. He's just like, oh. I don't want to sleep with this person who has he a dinner. however, does seem to be very uncomfortable at the next dinner party where he suspects a woman could be uh, actually a man. Paul Hogan doesn't seem to have any opinions about what Mick Dundee is about. It's well, fucking baffling. Well, the problem is, though, the only reason that's a joke in the movie is because they're expecting audiences to be to disgusted about it. About yeah. it. Yes. Yeah. Correct. I was just going to throw it a bone for Mick being a... I, I was going to throw it a bone, but no, the joke is still gross. The joke is still mean-spirited and sad. Um, but you're, you're absolutely right. It would make sense for uh, this transgender person in 1986 to be in this shitty dive bar um, because it was not a, a social issue that was getting, I mean, a tenth of the attention it was getting. Yeah. it's getting today. And, and, and so the intersectionality, I think, is very, very important when we're doing any sort of uh, theory. We need to think about all the issues, feminist issues, uh, gender issues. We need to think about sexuality issues. We need to think about regionality issues. We need to think about racial issues and all that sort of stuff coming together. But it's all about equality, and it's all about financial. Financial equality. It's all about sort of equal rights and protections under the law for all of these sorts of persons. And what's crazy about capitalism, and I think that's what's fundamentally being put on display in this film, is how it makes those separations in a way that you're not intersectional, and and then you can avoid dealing with the actual proper issues at hand. Well, yeah. Um, the, there's a sociologist named uh, Patricia Hill Collins who called it uh, matrixes or matrices of domination, where it's you know your social standing, your social strata is not determined by any one thing. Um, uh, generally speaking, uh, and especially in America, black women have uh, less power than a, a white man. Uh, Oprah Winfrey got a fuckload more power than I do uh, because money. Because there is no just, you cannot look at any one thing. You have to look at things in tandem together. Uh, being a white man in New York in 1986, you would think Paul Hogan would be doing just fine, but he's also from the boonies and doesn't have uh, a whole lot of money. And yeah. that's really what it comes down to. You ha- it, just like you said, you have to take these things in concert with one another, uh, especially if you're kind of approaching things from a, um, a conflict-oriented, uh, a Marxist-oriented perspective. Um, you have to, as you are a little bit, I mean, you didn't use those words, but I'm going to use those words because it's within the ballpark of Fair what enough. you're talking about. Um, you have to take all of these things into account because they do all operate in tandem together if we're thinking about society uh, as a conflict-oriented place. Absolutely, absolutely. And there you go, dear listener. That is our analysis for this time at this point for one Crocodile Dundee. We're going to take just a moment before we get render a verdict and hear a word from our sponsors. Here comes the money. Here we go. Money talk. Because of the pledges of our wonderful patrons, we've been able to get business cards, upgrade equipment, purchase a camera for live streaming, and that is just the tip of the iceberg for 2016. We have so many surprises in store for you, dear listener. So again, to those who have pledged, thank you. Thank you so much. And if you're not sure about pledging, uh, but want more information, then go to patreon.com forward slash GTGC. That's patreon.com forward slash GTGC. Or go to goodtrashmedia.com and click become a patron. Again, thank you so much. And back to the show. I think she smell my cologne. It's called brand new money. Make them make the moves. Man, ain't a damn thing funny. Pimpin' hood rats to playboy bunnies. They see the money, 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 money,
Thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Dear listeners, this show is brought to you by you. I was going to say it's brought to you by money. By money. <laughs> money, money, money. Give it all the money to us. After all that discussion of class and capitalism, it's all Our about... show today is brought to you by the color green. <laughs> oh, no. And oh. the letter M. Uh, I am suddenly very, very disappointed with myself. Yet we must move on and render a verdict to this film, Shell for Trash, and then recommend our else's or instead's. I go to you first. Picker of the film, Arthur Gordon. Shell for Trash, else or instead. It's trash. I, I'm not going to beat around that. I'm not going to beat around the bush, Mike. Uh, but yeah, it's, hey, it's definitely a trash film. You're going to walk away, mate. Into the bush. <laughs> Craggy. <laughs> uh, uh, <laughs> I will, uh, uh, dear Wormwood uh, directors, I hope we're not offending you at all. Uh, however, uh, I, you know, this is a movie I will keep on my shelf and personally will endure for me, uh, but it's trash. I, I accept and acknowledge that with ease. Um, it's streaming if you do want to watch it. Uh, I think uh, it is fun. I think Dustin uh, agrees with me on that one. At least it is kind of fun. Uh, uh, and so you could watch Jungle to Jungle or the other selections I picked in the game uh, earlier in the episode. Uh, if you need some Australia in your life, go watch Fury Road, uh, which yes. is just a lot of fun as well. And it's a really good movie. Uh, and if you're looking for a very well-made uh, romantic comedy that really kind of bucks the norm, uh, subverts some ideas, you got to watch... Another movie that's got some interesting structural choices and some uh, interesting narrative choices, and it's just a lot of fun. And you got to watch Joe versus the Volcano. Uh, yeah, you do. And I think uh, when Harry met Sally, I think you watch both of those because Meg Ryan. And so those would be my uh, insteads for Crocodile Dundee. Thank you very much, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Caleb Masters, what do you think? Shelf for trash, else, or instead? I, like I said, trash. Except for that one copy that belongs in a museum. Yeah, this is, you know, like there's like this is a movie that probably should be held because I think it is a product of the '80s that is undeniably it has some value there. But man, I don't ever want to own this movie. I don't want to see other than Arthur, who's given great reasons. I don't want to see any of you owning this movie. What, what, this movie's bad. It's it, I've got so many problems with it. It's just trash. It's it, not worth talking about. Um, instead, though, you can go watch another fish out of water. Kind of interesting, weird, kind of romantic comedy. Back to the Future, part one, in which Marty McFly goes back to the 1950s and his mom has a little thing for him. It's kind of weird, but it's kind of fun. And you get all the same fish-out-of-water type jokes in a totally different context. And I, I just, it's one of my favorite Paging movies. Dr. Freud, Oedipus, paging Dr. Freud. Thank you very much. Very good pick. I like that. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. So you also watch uh, another movie I'm not a huge fan of, but I think if I'm going to pick between, the, uh, between Crocodile Dundee and City Slickers, I roll with City Slickers because that's a movie about some outdoorsmen in the middle of nowhere that's a lot of fun. And that one is still an 80s movie, but it feels like a good 80s movie, right? It's 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 <laughs> it's not great, but I, I still no, it's la- not 80s. Is it, is it Our right? very own product 80s? of the 80s. It's another, uh, you know, I found City Slickers to be another great product of that sort of 80s style filmmaking. Yes, made in 1991, still an 80s movie. I yeah, I mean, say. it's real. you can't put a hard, fast line on decades. I mean... You you look at something like Underworld and it's like that's a fucking nineties oh, movie. Yeah. It came out in two thousand two. That's a nineties movie. Nineties movie. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And lastly, if I want to watch my favorite Aussie in Australia, I go watch Hugh Jackman in Australia. Oh, seriously? Yeah, with Nicole Kidman. <laughs> 
All right. All right. Baz Luhrmann's Australia. Hey, uh, hey, listen, I I don't hate that movie. I just said if I want to watch a movie about Australia, I'll just go watch Australia. I've got a better one. Well, I mean, or 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 any of the Mad Max movies are all great, but Arthur already 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 stole my thunder on that. So that's what it is. All righty. Thank you very much, Mr. Caleb Masters, Mr. Dalton Stewart. Show for trash elsewhere instead. No, fuck this movie. I'm gonna cut it up and make it into a dope pair of boots. Uh, (laughs) It is terrible. Uh, You know what I kept thinking about um, was. The the wonderful '90s establishment Chuck E. Cheese's uh, had a poster on the wall that uh, was a spoof of Crocodile Dundee, and that is forever frozen into my brain because I remember seeing it a lot. And uh, I like that poster with the giant rat on it better than I like this movie uh, <laughs> because I, I associated that poster with uh, skee ball, uh, pizza, and uh, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: yes. uh, Lost in Time or whatever it was called. Turtles in Time. Oh, Turtles yeah. in Time. There we go. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. So fuck this movie. It's bad. It's dumb. You don't need to watch it. Um, there are better movies just like it. Uh, one of them is called Romance. The Stone, which came up a little bit earlier. Uh, Romancing the Stone is great. Uh, it stars uh, Kathleen Turner is definitely not uh, Marion Ravenwood, uh, and uh, <laughs> and Michael Douglas is definitely not Indiana Jones. It's 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 just Raiders of the Lost Ark, but um, swapping out uh, more swapping in more romantic comedy. And Danny DeVito is not short round. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Wait, maybe it is. But he's a short round, all right. <laughs> That was good. Uh, yeah, yeah, it's it's Raiders of the Lost Ark, but uh, with more heavily leaning on the. Um, I'm going to keep talking, uh, Arthur. You're going to be okay. Uh, Romancing the Stone is literally just Raiders of the Lost Ark, uh, but plugging in more romantic comedy beats and swapping out the Nazis. Um, it's really great, though, um, and it is very similar to this movie in that you have these two characters who are kind of at odds. Um, you can't. Here's the problem. Uh, with part of the problem with Crocodile Dundee. Um, I do not believe the chemistry between the two leads uh, like Arthur does. It's just, I don't know, it doesn't quite speak to me. Uh, Romancing the Stone, you cannot wait for Michael Douglas and Kathleen Turner to bang. I mean, it is palpable, the entire movie. And it is, yeah, they're just smolder on screen together. And if you're going to make a uh, an adventure romantic comedy, that's kind of something you need to have, is two leads that you really want to see hook up. Um, and that's what Romancing the Stone has. It is a delightful, that is a fucking good 80s movie. Um, I cannot more highly recommend it. I also haven't seen it since I was 14, but I love that movie. Um, my final recommendation instead of Crocodile Dundee is a little movie from 2005 called The Proposition, um, written by one of my favorite Australians, Nick Cave, uh, directed by an Australian, uh, John Hillcote, who has made some really dope fucking movies as well, um, and starring a bunch of Englishmen, (laughs) because it is about, uh, it's a Western, it's an Australian, uh, it is a Western set in, uh, colonial Australia as they're switching from a penal colony to a proper colony. Um, and it's awesome. It is a great movie. Um, it's got Guy Pierce and Ray Winstone in it, and um, I think Emily Watson's in it too. Uh, yeah, uh, Emily Watson's in it too, as well as Danny Houston. Uh, so a lot of a great cast. Uh, John Hurt's in it for a little bit too. Uh, I, I cannot more strongly recommend the proposition. Um, it, it is one of my favorite uh, movies about Australia. Thank you very much, Mr. Dalton Stewart. I am also going to say trash, but I am going to say this. If it's on TBS, watch it. TBS, very funny. Yeah, very funny. And if it just happens to be on any other sort of you know basic cable or whatever, when you're flipping the channels and you see it, yeah, watch it then. See it on Netflix streaming. That's fine. Uh, but no, do not spend money on this movie. Absolutely not. And it's ubiquitous enough that you're going to find it uh, thereabouts and around. You know so. this is the fifth highest grossing movie of 1986? 
That is insane to me. Huh. Did you know Paul Hogan won the Golden Globe for this yeah, movie? Yeah, he did. Whoa. Hmm. I, I just don't understand how this movie was the giant hit that it was. No, I don't really either. I think it was the second behind Top Gun. Really? I, that might have just... I, I, that figure I saw might have been globally. Oh, okay. So, wow. But, I mean, it made money hand over fist, which is why it's so ubiquitous. Uh, I mean, that's why... Um, I think the people that made it popular aren't really uh, the uh, target audience anymore, which is for media, which is why everyone seems to have forgotten about it. But yeah, it was a it was a fucking smash hit, and it is a really bad movie. But if you want to go ahead and see people making fun of American white people in a city environment, go ahead and take a look at The Cowboy Way uh, with Woody Harrelson and Kiefer Sutherland. It's a fun time, and it's a movie with a bit more heart, I think, uh, than this particular film. Although it has been a long time since I've seen it, dear listener, so anything very tragic and objectionable that you may happen to encounter whilst watching is not my fault. I also want to recommend something from the great continent of Australia. That's right. The country is a continent. The whole country. It's that dope of a country. That's right. Um, not an island. It's a continent. And apparently one of the best... That's not an island. <laughs> this is an island. <laughs> uh, and uh, apparently one of the best places in the world to live. I've heard that. I want to go there so bad. Yeah, they have like the fifth uh, highest happiness of uh, self-reported happiness of any country in the world. Probably because of the presence of Sorry Day, which is a wonderful thing. I just want to say this little bit of a public service announcement. In Australia, they have an international day called Sorry, or an international national day called Sorry Day, in which they are sorry to the Aboriginal peoples for the way they treated them. Well, it's, a, nice. it's a national holiday. You don't go to work, and people make speeches and say, we did a bad thing. That's nice. It might be advisable. Gee, uh... You know, hmm. that, that hmm, I can think I, of other countries yeah, that might need something that. might like that. need something like that. I don't know. I mean, you know, we're not going to get they're, real specific. I'll always well, go for a day off work. I mean, their flag <laughs> might... <laughs> <laughs> You're the problem, Arthur. <laughs> I am. But the, the film I want to recommend is Peter Weir's Picnic at Hanging Rock. I um, almost watched that just a day ago. You should. You should. It's really, really good. It's very, very Australian in, in many ways. And also, uh, strangely, uh, what we're going to say is it, it does kind of tap into some of that mystical um, Aboriginal roots uh, without you know the use of Aboriginal characters. So, well, it's uh, what, interesting. 50s, 60s? Oh, no. Uh, I would say oh, no, early 80s, 80s, late yeah, 70s. Never mind. Yeah, early 80s is what I would guess. Um, but great, great film. Peter Weir uh, went, later went on, made uh, The Truman Show, mm-hmm. uh, some other films that, that I'm sure uh, you, dear listeners, would love to uh, know about. But he began his work in Australia. He's an Australian filmmaker. And uh, definitely, definitely worth your time. We'd love to hear what you've got to say about what we've said so far and give us some feedback. And the way you can do that is via those magical means that we all know as social media. Arthur Gordon, can you tell us about the first of those means by which the conversation could be held? Yes, Dustin, I can. You can find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash good trash media uh, you can go over there to connect with the good trash genre cast and all of our sister shows on the good trash media network uh, we would love to have you uh, click that like button and follow along with what we post we post all of our shows we post articles we post news items of interest uh, really anything pop culturally related and relevant to what we do we post and share with you because we want to start a conversation uh, because that is why we do this to converse with one another and with you dear listener about the movies that we Love or love hate or hate uh, in many cases. And so please go to Facebook and uh, like our page. 
Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Mr. Dalton Stewart, is there another means of social media by which the conversation could be held? There is, as a matter of fact, Mr. Sells. You can find the Good Trash Media Network on Twitter at good underscore trash. Uh, that is your one-stop shop source if you are interested in seeing pictures of all of the Good Trash Media staff uh, as Powerpuff Girls characters, um, yes. including um, the Frightful Femme uh, uh, Kirsten Thurkelson and our very own Alexandra Bohannon, who is not able to be here with us today. Uh, and there's even two versions of me uh, one that Caleb made, uh, or Alex made, that uh, uh, made me look uh, real happy and fun, and one that uh, Caleb made, which made me look like a mean, cantankerous fuck. I like Caleb's better. Um, you can also see it's it, also more accurate. Correct. Uh, you can also see pictures of me chugging a Smirnoff Ice on stage uh, as part of a comedy show I was in last I, night. I wanted to scream while you were doing. So I, I almost wanted to scream, "Witness me!" You know, just for fun. Thank you. Uh, also, uh, taking pictures of the selfie stick. It was a weird night. So yeah, if you want to see pictures of all of us doing weird stuff, uh, Twitter is the place to be for that, and that is at good underscore trash. Thank you very much for that. Now, as you know, dear listener, we are not in a marathon this month. We are using our bingo ball randomizer yet again, and we are going to draw a ball from said machine at this very moment. Come on. Come on. What's it going to be? What's it going to be? Big money. Muppets in space. Muppets in space. Come on. Come on. And the winner is... What? Twelve Monkeys. I'm fine with that. That's fine. Yeah, I can, I can live with that. I'm okay with that. Also, see La Jetée, but we'll talk more about that. I'll probably watch La Jetée, yeah, as well. Yeah, and, yeah, and uh, Jetem Jetem. But we'll, more more on that anon. Uh, dear listener, take a look at Twelve Monkeys. Maybe maybe not take a look at Crocodile Dundee. But no matter what you do, watch a movie and have a conversation with somebody because the movies are so much more fun than just ninety minutes and a bucket of popcorn. It's about the conversation that you have thereafter, and that's what makes watching the movies worthwhile. And we will see you all next time. The Good Trash Genre Cast is produced and edited by Arthur Gordon. Direction by Dustin Sells. Social media by Alexandra Bohannon, Caleb Masters, and Dalton Stewart. Our intro and outro is Night Call by Kavinsky and Lovebox. We are also proud to feature music from Deer Tick this week on the program. For more information on this episode of the Good Trash Genrecast, as well as the rest of the Good Trash Media family, please visit goodtrashmedia.com.